Well, good morning. I want to begin with an illustration. It happened in 1968, the Summer Olympic Games, and it, it became a big deal, and it's, it's known for uh, what this one man did. Uh, a man by the name of John Stephen Akwari that became famous because of the 1968 Olympics, and this is his story. Uh, by 7 o'clock on October 20th, 1968, at the Mexico City Olympic Stadium, it was beginning to get dark. It had cooled down as well. And the last of the Olympic marathon runners were being assisted away to the first aid stations. Over an hour earlier, Mamo Waldi of Ethiopia had crossed the finish line, winning the 26-mile, 385-yard race, looking as strong and as vigorous as when he started. As the last of the few thousand spectators began to leave, they heard police sirens and whistles uh, through the gate entering the stadium, and all of the attention turned to that gate. A sole figure wearing the colors of Tanzania came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Akwari. He was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged and bloody. He'd taken a bad fall early in the race, which had also injured his shoulder. Now all he could do is barely limp into the stadium and run around the track. The crowd stood and applauded as he completed the last lap. When he finally crossed the finish line, a reporter dared to ask him the question that everyone was wondering. You are badly injured. Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you give up? Akwari with quiet dignity, said this, and this is what he became famous for. My country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish it. He is recognized because of his feet and because of that quote. This morning, as we come to our series, the end of our series, Healthy Habits, I want to encourage us to persevere, to not give up, to keep moving forward. You're sitting there and you've begun the year reading the Bible and you've plowed it through Genesis and you've come to Exodus and now you're reading about the formation of the tabernacle and now you're into the book of Leviticus. And what I would say to you is hang in there, don't give up, keep moving forward, it's hard, I get it, don't give up. And maybe you began the year praying for other people. You're going to persevere in prayer. I and mean, you've been doing that. And all of a sudden as you pray, maybe you're not seeing the results that you want. Maybe you're not seeing God respond in the way that you would have him to respond. My, my challenge to you would be don't give up. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep moving forward. Persevere in all of those healthy habits. The grace that you would extend to other people. Persevere in being forgiving to other people. Persevere in using your time, your talent, your treasure. Persevere in wanting to be a person of influence in the lives of another. Don't give up. Keep moving forward. Because God wants to help you, and God wants to use you in a mighty and powerful way. The author of the passage that we're going to look at, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, he, he gives us the theme, and this is the theme that I want to look at this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says, Let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. Let us run with perseverance. Let us run with endurance the race that is marked out for us. When, when you examine the word race, we get a better understanding of what exactly running the Christian race entails. And it means this. It has the idea of a fight. It has the idea of a struggle. The race has the idea of being in agony as you run through the race. Isn't that what we saw in, in the race that this man, John Stephen Alquari, ran? There was pain. There was something. He fell. There's, there's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of suffering in the Christian race that we have. 
And what the Bible says is this, that one of the figures of speech that the Bible and Paul is going to use is the idea, this image of a race. So, for example, in the book of Acts, Paul's getting ready to leave the people of Ephesus, and he gathers around all of the believers, and he calls them to himself, and he knows what's ahead of him. He knows the hardship. He knows the persecutions in front of him. He knows all of this stuff that's going to happen. And in Acts chapter 20, notice his response about the race. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me, if only that I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. What is the task? What is the race? The task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Even in the midst of pain and suffering and hardship, Paul says, listen, this is a race, there's opposition, but I don't want to give up. I want to continue to fight. I want to persevere in the midst of all this. I don't want to quit. And in the context of Hebrews chapter 12, if you go back and look at the prior chapter, most of us know chapter 11, and you evaluate the people, if you look at their lives, if you look at their names, we all know that almost all of them experience discouragement and discomfort in many types of ways. Abraham knew he was going to have this son. He was promised a son, but he became discouraged and took matters into his own hands. Moses going into the promised land. Do you think Moses ever got discouraged? The people are grumbling all of the time. Imagine uh, he sends out the, tr- the, the slaves. <clears throat> they come back, and they come back with this beautiful bounty, and then they begin to spread a bad report about the people in the land are too big and we can't go, go before them. Did you think he became discouraged? Of course he did. The people who went into that land, most of them wanted to quit. They didn't want to go in there. And what about David? David experienced discouragement. Elijah? Elijah wanted to give up. So when you look at the context of uh, Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 11, you see that all of these people experienced difficulties and challenges in their life. They ran the race, but it was hard at particular points in time, if you will. So we often think of a race this way. Well, I'm going to go do this 12K or 10K or this 26-mile race, and I'm going to go do it. And, and then I'm going to go do it, and then I'm going to do it for a couple of hours, and then I'm going to be done with it. And, and the race is complete. The race is over with. The, the race for us, the Christian journey, is from beginning to end. That's why Paul says, I want to testify. I want to finish this race from beginning to end. What we want to do is we want to be faithful. We want to be pers- people who persevere in the midst of the difficulties and challenges of life. Paul wrote to the people of Galatia these words because they had gotten off track. He's asking them the question. You, you were running the race, but how did you get off track? Galatians chapter 5 verse 7 says this, you were running the race. His point is this, that you got distracted. What happened? What caused you to lose track of where you were going? You were moving in this direction. All of a sudden, now you're going in a different direction. You got distracted. We can get distracted in the Christian journey. All of these other things can come into our lives and consume us and, and pull us away from what God would have us to do. So it's easy for us to get off track. We see this in Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Notice what the the author wrote. He said, we must pay careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift. So we don't drift. If you go back and read the book of Hebrews, over and over and over there are warnings. There is encouragement. There are words to remind us, do not get off track. Do not go this way. Do not go this way. Make sure that you fall in line with the principles of who Jesus is and what he would have for our lives. And we want to end well, don't we? 
I don't know about you, but I want to end well. Some of you are just beginning the journey. Yeah, you want to continue the journey. You want to continue to move forward. You want to continue to stay on track. You don't want to get sidetracked. I don't want to get sidetracked. And Paul says, listen, I want to end well. And that's the way that he wrote to his young friend, Timothy. Paul knows he's getting ready to die, probably a martyr's death. He knows he's going to die. His, his life is going to end soon. And so he writes to Timothy. He writes a heartfelt letter to Timothy about his life. And he writes these words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. He says this, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I, I have finished the race. I, don't we all want to do that? I don't know about you. That's what I want to do. I want to continue to move forward. I want to make sure that I'm faithful all the way to the end. Let me ask you, how's your, how, how are you doing in the race? Where, where are you at in the race? Are you walking or are you running? Have you stopped? Have you gotten sidetracked? Have you got distracted? Has the pain and the suffering of the agony of the race defeated you and you're about to just give up and, and quit? What, what Paul would say, to, or Paul or the author, whoever the author is, uh, what, what he would say to us is, listen, what I want you to do is I, I want you to persevere. And so what the author gives us, he gives us words of encouragement of how we can persevere, how we can move forward, how we can not quit. Maybe it's the spiritual disciplines, maybe it's something else in our life. So we can continue to move forward. And that's what I want to look at this morning. I want to look at what, what the Bible would have to help us, to encourage us to persevere and to move forward. So let's begin, verse 1, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. First thing we need to do, if we want to continue to move forward, we don't want to quit, we don't want to give up, we need to get rid of the distractions. Look at verse 1. It says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, and the sin that so easily entangles us. I think it's important to realize something here. And it's this, you're not alone. The experiences, the uniqueness of all the difficulties and the challenges that you are going through, yeah, they are unique to you, but you are not alone. When you go back and look at Hebrews chapter 11, and you look at all of the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, we can look at their lives and realize they went through a lot of the pain and the suffering that you might be going through. They didn't live perfect lives. They lived flawed lives. And so what we have is we have uh, Hebrews chapter 11, and we have the totality of the Bible to remind us that life is not easy. Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Notice what Paul writes here. He says this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Why? So that through endurance, another enduring word, another persevering word, through endurance and the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. The Bible simply says that when we look to the Old Testament, even now when we look to the New Testament, we look to the teachings of God's word, we can find hope, we can find encouragement because we look and see how people persevered in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. What we need to do is look at their lives in the context of how they lived. And that's why it says, listen, you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. A cloud is this. It's used in the Bible in this way, metaphorically to describe a large group of people. We are surrounded by a, a company of loyal and faithful witnesses who have actually gone before us to show us and to point us the way. 
You know, some people look at verse 12 here and then they look at this idea of witnesses. And what, what does the author mean by witnesses? Are these witnesses from heaven? In other words, are, are these witnesses in heaven? All of the people listed in Hebrews chapter 11, are all of these witnesses up there and they're kind of watching us? Kind of like all of the witnesses in the illustration, they were, they were sitting outside of the stadium and the seats in the stadium and they watched this. Are, are, is that kind of what this looks like? Is the, these witnesses in Hebrew chapter 11 are watching what's going on and seeing us and observing us? Or, or maybe there's a deeper understanding of what the, mean, the word witness has to offer us. Can we look to the people of Hebrews chapter 11? Can we look to the Old Testament? Can we look to people in Bible times and look at their lives not necessarily as a negative thing, but as a positive thing? The idea of witnesses, they were a testimony. They were faithful to what God had called them to do. Even amidst the pain and suffering, even amidst the opposition, they hung in there and didn't give up. See, when we look at the Bible, when we look at the Old Testament, we see the Old Testament saints. And I have the privilege and the honor of listening and learning from them and the way that they live their lives. And we also have this idea of the witnesses in the New Testament, the disciples, Jesus. We have all of these wonderful people who've gone before us and lived their lives in such a way that we can learn from them. They are our witnesses. And we even have what I would believe is the church fathers, the early church fathers, who lived their lives in the immediate context of Christianity and lived their lives in such a faithful way. And what we can do is we can look back at them. And we can look at their lives and we can emulate their lives. Because when you're, when you're considering the idea of endurance and persevering and giving up, don't you want to be able to look to something or someone? And what he's reminding us here is this, you can look to some people, if you will. And I think that that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is all about. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 11. Notice what he says. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. That phrase literally means this. Men of old, the ancients, this is what they were known for. They were known for a good witness, a good testimony. They were commended for their lives. They were commended for their testimony of life. Now look at the end of chapter 11. Verse 39 says this. It says, they were commended, same word, they were commended for their faith. That means that they were commended, why? Because the men of old, the women of old, these ancient people were commended because of their faithful witness and their faithful testimony in the midst of pain and suffering and hardship of life. They didn't give up. They kept moving forward. And so that's why we encourage ourselves to read the Bible. Young people, you ever looked at the life of Joseph? 16, 17 years old, what he experienced and all, all that he experienced with his family, and you can go back and learn how to live your life. David, Ruth, Esther, all of these faithful men and women of the Bible. And what we can do is we can go back and look at their lives and look at the way that they live. And what's so encouraging, enlightening about all of these people is this. They were flawed individuals. They weren't perfect. They made mistakes in the midst of life, yet in the midst of their mistakes, in the midst of the pain of suffering, in the midst of the opposition, they continued to follow through what God had called them to do. And so their lives, their testimonies, the witnesses that they have left us, their lives say, don't give up. Don't quit. Keep moving forward. And that's what the author is reminding us here, is we are, we're surrounded 
but these wonderful testimony of witnesses who've gone before us. We can look to their lives and the way that they live their lives and we can learn from their lives. And what Paul, Paul, I keep saying Paul, what the, he could be Paul, we don't know, what the author of the book of Hebrews reminds us of is not only are this great cloud of witnesses, but there's some distractions in life. You ever get distracted in life? Notice the two distractions that we're to put off. That's what he says, put off these things. Verse tw- chapter 12, verse 1 says this, let us throw off everything that hinders us. So Im- imagine if I showed up for uh, this uh, April 2nd marathon um, downtown uh, St. Louis, and, and I, had, uh, I had this jacket on, and I've got some boots in here, and I've got some, a sweatshirt, and I've got some gloves, and I, I've got all of these things, and then I've got this backpack, and I've got some snacks in here. Imagine if I were to show up April 2nd for this marathon, and, and I had this jacket, boots, and these gloves on. What, what, what would happen? Well, number one, people would laugh. Number two, I'm going to last, what, maybe, maybe a mile? And number three, I'm not, I'm not dressed appropriately. That, that's what he's talking about here. He says, it's throw off everything that hinders us. What hinders us, sometimes what hinders us, it's the good things. These are all really good things to wear in the wintertime. But they're not really good things to be wearing in the summertime in the months of April. And, and what he says is that the hindrances in our lives, are a lot of times they're the good things in our life, but they become a hindrance in our life. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's something that we do. Maybe it's something else in our life. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe there's a lot of really good things in our life, but what they're doing is they're, they're like a backpack on, the, on our back, and they're holding us back, and they're hindering us from moving forward. And what he says is, listen, you need to get rid of, put off the excess weight in your life. What would that be for you? What would that be for me? Listen, if we want to continue to move forward and, and not give up, we've got to get rid of some things. We've got to get rid of those things that are hanging on to the back of us. Notice what else he says to put off. Verse 1 says, and the sin that so easily entangles you. The sin that so easily entangles. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been entangled in sin? What I mean is this. Is sin ever a one thought or one action or one thing? Doesn't sin always lead to something else? Another thought? An action that impacts another person? Something that has happened? The word entangle means this. It means that you're, you're, you're kind of standing there and all of a sudden you're tangled up. And you're tangled up in such a way that, that it, you're wrapped up and it exerts this control around you. You can't do anything. All of a sudden what sin has done is it's restricted the movements in your life. You feel trapped on the inside. You feel trapped on the outside. And when you go back and look at, at Genesis chapter 3 in the fall of, of, of Adam and Eve and when you look at their life and you see what they did, that's exactly what happened to them. You know, they doubted the goodness of God. They doubted uh, the, the, the greatness and the goodness of who God is and what he would have for them in life. They, they fell to the temptation of the evil one. And because of that simple act, what well, we've been entangled by sin ever since. We've been wrapped around us. And it grabs a hold of us. And what's interesting is that we think a lot of times when we go through these things and maybe we, we act and do something, we become more free. We have the freedom to do all of these things. And yet when we experience that freedom, what does it do? It binds us, and it traps us, and it entangles us, just like it did Adam and Eve. And and what the the author is simply reminding us is this. You need to get rid of that stuff that hindrances you. You need to get rid of that sin that so easily entangles your life if you want to continue to move forward, because it's only going to hold you back. You're not going to be able to persevere 
if you allow those things to dominate your life. You realize in Roman times, the athletes, the Olympic athletes would come to the games and they would have this robe on them and they would take the robe off and many times they didn't have any clothes on. Why? Because the robe restricted their movement. Think back to the disciples and the early followers of Jesus. Didn't they wear, most of them wear robes? You ever tried to run in a robe? You're not going to get very far if you try and run in a robe. That's why it talks about them tucking it in here. What we need to do is we need to recognize that there's certain things in our life. If we want to continue to move forward, that we've got to get rid of them. We've got to get rid of those hindrances. We've got to get rid of those things that entangle us into sin. Second point that he made is this. You need to persevere. You need to not give up. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a guy by the name of Howard Hendricks, and he's a former professor, used to speak a lot at Moody Bible Institute. And he said this. He said that uh, he's, he's since passed away. He said there are 100 or so leaders in the Bible, and two-thirds of them did not finish well. Man, that's scary. Two-thirds of them did not finish well. I want to be one of the ones that finish well. Along the route of the race, we're going to experience difficult challenges. My experiences, my opposition, and my challenges are going to be different than yours. Now, for one person, maybe the struggle is going to be the route. Maybe it's a really tough hill that you've got to go up through. Maybe, maybe you're not going to be able to get through the hill. Maybe you can't run through the hill. You've got to walk through the hill. Or, or maybe for another person, you're just not really in shape to be able to run the race. Or maybe for another person, it, it's, it's something else. There's another kind of obstacle that you're challenging with. In, in the midst of all of our races, what are we supposed to do? It says this, to persevere. You know what the word persevere means? It means to abide under. I find that really interesting. Is that the normal human reaction when you hit a wall or an obstacle? Is that the normal human reaction to abide under? Or is it to try and avoid whatever that obstacle is, to try and go I mean, do we really invite pain, suffering, difficulties, and challenges in our life? Or do we try to avoid it like the plague? You know, if I'm riding my motorcycle on a really, really difficult hill in Colorado, and I come through and there's a 30, there's a puddle from here to there, there's a water crossing, and I'm looking at this thing, and I'm wondering what I'm going to do. Am I going to go through it? And then I see a path along the side. Where am I going to go? I, I'm going to go to the right. I'm going to take the path that I can go through. Why am I going to do that? Because I've done this before. I went through a, a, a small little path. And Chesterfield years ago, it was a concrete. I could see the other side. The water was maybe two, three inches. I got three or four feet into it. And before I could even think about getting on the other side, the bike was gone. And I was laying on the ground. Why? Because underneath the water was this stuff called algae that makes it really, really slippery and hard to get through. Sometimes in the midst of the obstacles of life, we don't see what's underneath. And what we've got to do is we've got to figure out a way to get through. We don't just turn around and go back. What we do is we persevere. And the, the, the idea has this, this, this thought of abiding under. What I'm going to do is I'm going to abide under, abide under. I'm going to abide under the unique person of Jesus Christ and who he is and what he's done for me in my life. I'm going to abide underneath him. I'm going to abide under the mighty hand of God who loved me, cared for me, 
and delivered up his son Jesus for me. I cannot do this on my own. You cannot do this on our own. But when we abide under the might and the power of Jesus, who says, by the way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he can give us what we need in order to make it through to the other side. To persevere means that what I'm going to do is I'm going to remain and abide under the idea that God will take care of me and he will help me in the midst of life. The other thing it means when I say that I'm going to abide, it means this, that I'm going to trust God for where I would find myself in life. Notice the phrase that says, let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. The race marked out. In other words, the only one who marks out the race is the one who is the creator of the race. And he knows the race. He knows about your race. He knows the beginning from the end, from ancient times, what is yet to come. He knows all the days for you or our day. He knows all about that God is sovereign. He knows the race. He knew the race of Joseph. It's a race marked out for you. And your race is really different than my race. And your obstacles and your challenges and your difficulties are really different than mine. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to abide under the mighty hand of God and I'm going to trust him for who he is so that he can help me in the race that he has what? Marked out from. The, the, the idea of marked has this idea. There, there's a path that lies ahead. Do you know the path that lies ahead? Of course not. You don't know what tomorrow holds for us. But God knows the path that's laid up for us. He's marked it out for us. And what am I going to do? I'm going to abide in who he is, and I'm going to trust him for who he is, and that he loves me, and that he cares for me. And I can trust him in the midst of the race, because he knows the end from the beginning. He knows what's going on. He's marked out the various flags for me, if you will. And what we can't do is we can't look at somebody else's race and go, boy, I, I wish I was like this person. If I only had their issues and challenges of life, if I only was like them, then what I can do is I would be able to make this race and I would be able to persevere. And what God says, listen, this is a, this is a race that's marked out for you. And by the way, doesn't God use all of those things, the obstacles, the challenges of life to it, to conform us ultimately into the image of Jesus? Consider it all joy, my brothers. You encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, what does it produce? Endurance, doesn't it? This is a race marked out for you that God has marked out for you. And what you and I need to do is to this, is we need to trust the mighty hand of God. Peter had to learn that lesson. A lot of times he went off and he went all, did all kinds of things on his own. But he would later write of his transformed life, and 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What is anxiety? It's the difficulties, the challenges, it's the pressures of life. It's the stuff that causes us to react on the inside. And he says, take all of that, put it off, and cast it on the unique person of Jesus. Why? Because he loves you and he cares for you. And he will bear you up in the midst of the difficulties and the challenges of life. So in order for us not to give up, in order for us to persevere, to keep moving forward, we've got to remove some things. We've got to put off some things. We've got to put off hindrances. We've got to put aside that sin. We've got to abide under the mighty hand of God, trusting his plan for our life. The second thing that we need to look at here is where do you fix your eyes? What are you looking at and who are you looking to? 
Look at verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. The word that's used in this text for fixed, it doesn't mean just to glance at something. It actually means this. It means, listen, there's a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of things that pull our attention away. You know, when I'm driving down the road and I'm looking at the road, you know, there's a car over here, maybe there's somebody over here, and, there, and something else is around here. It means this, I'm, I'm going to continue to fix my attention. I, I'm going to remove all of these other distractions. In my, I'm not going to look at those distractions in my life. What I'm going to do is I'm going to focus my thoughts and my, I'm focus my attention on Jesus. And that's what he's saying. He says, focus, fix your eyes completely on the person of Jesus Christ. Because when we do that, that helps us to avoid all of the, distract, the distractions and keeps us ultimately on the right path. You ever been driving down the road and somebody next to you is texting in the car? It happens all the time. You know, they look at their phone and all of a sudden, within a nanosecond, within one or two seconds, they're in your lane or they're going off into another. It happens all the time. I see somebody weaving back and forth in lane. I know what they're doing. They're looking at their phone. And that's what they do. They pull their attention from the road in front of them. They look at their phone. And just for a nanosecond, they're in our lane. And what, and what the author is reminding us is this. Avoid all of the other distractions in life. Avoid the things that we're carrying with us. Fix your eyes on, by the way, he calls him Jesus. Not Christ, but Jesus. The human Jesus. The human Jesus that went through and experienced a lot of pain and suffering in his life. And he modeled what it meant to live a righteous and perfect life in the midst of all that he experienced here and what he's going to mention here. So when we look at and we focus on Jesus, what do we learn? Real briefly and then we're done. Notice what he says this. He's the author of our faith. This is used in the sense that he is the captain or he is the author of our salvation. The Bible talks about there's salvation, no other name. For there's no other name given among heaven by which we must be saved. In other words, the source of life, the source of our salvation, the source of everything is Jesus. Colossians chapter 3 verse 4 says this, Christ, when Christ who is our life appears, we will be with him in glory. He is the source of our life. He's the source, he's the author of everything good in our life. And we should look and trust him for what he's done for us. Notice what else the author says, he's the perfecter of our faith. This has the idea of what? It has the idea of, of, of completion. There's a goal in life. Paul recognized the goal in life was to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a goal, there's an end goal in life. And God is working in and through us, bringing us to completion. Now he who began a good work in you, what? Will bring it to completion. He's the perfecter of our faith, if you will, and wants to bring us to that place where in the testimony of Cindy Miller, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Every one of us would agree that she was faithful to the end. 
God completed the work in her life and in the work of Galen's life. He's our author. He's our perfecter. And notice the motivation. The text says this, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. He endured the cross. How? Joy. What would be the joy? I believe the joy would be this, that he's bringing his children, men and women, ultimately to glory, to perfection. He's conforming us ultimately into the image of his son. And he's done that by enduring the horror and the shame of the cross. What kept him moving as he went to the cross? The joy that we would ultimately one day be like him and we can look to him and emulate his faith, if you will. The second thing I believe that brought him joy was this. He was doing the will of his father. That brought him great joy. I'm doing and living for the glory of God. Heavenly Father, I have brought you glory by walking in obedience to what you would have for us. And as we look to Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us, we're reminded of the wonderful obedience that he walked through in the midst of the pain and the suffering of the cross, in the midst of the pain of what the text would say, the hostility toward him by sinful human beings. And the last thing we see in verse 2 is this. We see the exaltation that one day, listen, all the pain and the suffering. Romans chapter 8 calls it the weight of glory. There's a weight of glory. that All of the pain and the suffering is really, really bad, but there's a weight of glory that's much greater. Look at the glory in Jesus' life. Verse 2 says, He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the exaltation of Jesus. He sat down at the throne of God. Or what does he do? He intercedes for you and I. He's our empathetic high priest that knows the difficulties and the challenges that you and I are going through. And he becomes our empathetic high priest by what? By praying for us. That's the Spirit of God prays for us. So what the author would have us to do is to put off all of those things in our life that are weighing us down. What he would have us to do is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Don't lose sight of him. And what's the conclusion? Why? Look at verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Why? The purpose clause. So that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Why is that there? Because you do get weary. We do get weary. We do at times grow weak. We do at times lose heart. And so what we need to do is we need to put our eyes and our focus on Jesus so that in the midst of those difficulties, challenges, obstacles, the weariness of life, he will see us and he will help us and he will bring us through, through the Spirit of God who lives inside of us. As we abide in him, as we rest under the mighty hand of God. Listen, I don't know what you're going through, what difficulties and challenges you're going through in life. You know, there's a lot of hurt out there. You know, we've got a friend of mine, Laura and I have a friend of ours. I told you this, she's 30 years old, three kids, and she has cancer that is racking her body. And, you know, the outcome is not good. That's really, really hard. That's really, really difficult. So do we give up? No. Even in the midst of pain and suffering of life, what we can do is we can abide under 
the beauty and the power of our Savior who's already gone before us in all of these things. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Father, I pray that we would be men and women who simply abide under the mighty hand of God. Father, thank you that we have a a Savior. His name is Jesus. And he has already gone before us in all of these areas. He endured the the, the cross. He, He shunned the shame and the humility of the cross so that we might be able to look to him and find help and hope and encouragement in who he is. Father, I pray that if we are simply struggling with any of those issues, God, we would simply cast our cares and our burdens upon you. And Father, we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.